Matthew chapter 17. We're going to talk about an interesting subject today, one that I think is truly life-changing. It is uh, more of an advanced Christian topic and one that is not talked about very often, but there will be some milk of the word mixed in the message as well, so there'll be something for everybody here. But if you've ever wanted to get your prayers answered, and especially if you have some really serious prayers that you need answered, uh, today's message will help us for sure. Matthew chapter 17, we'll look at verse 14, and we'll read responsively down through verse 21. So you join with me on verse 14, and then I'll read every other verse alone. You read every other verse with me in unison, but we'll end together. On verse 21, Matthew chapter 17, verses 14 through 21, the word of God says, And when they were come to the multitude, there came to him a certain man, kneeling down to him and saying, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is a lunatic and sore vexed, for oft times he falleth into the fire and oft into the water. And I brought him to thy disciples, and they could not cure him. Then Jesus answered and said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? Bring him hither to me. And Jesus rebuked the devil, and he departed out of him, and the child was cured from that very hour. Then came the disciples to Jesus apart and said, Why could not we cast him out? And Jesus said unto them, Because of your unbelief, for verily I say unto you, If ye have faith as a grain of mustard seed, ye shall say unto this mountain, Remove hence to yonder place, and it shall remove, and nothing shall be impossible unto you. And together... Howbeit this kind goeth forth but by prayer and fasting. Let's pray. Lord, we look at this intense portion of Scripture and uh, powerful lessons to be learned for sure. We pray that you'd give us insight, that the Holy Spirit would teach us, that you would speak to each of us with power and clarity. And Lord, that we would accept uh, this unusual teaching of the, the Word, Uh, Not unusual in the scriptures, but unusual for our popular culture that focuses so much on pleasure. But Lord, we need prayers answered. We have great needs that need you to work mightily. And sometimes we pray and pray and pray, and it seems like nothing happens. And here is a plan you've given us that can supercharge our prayer life and do what even seems impossible. So we pray that you'd teach us your word, speak to each heart. Save those that need saved. Increase the faith of your people, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. What a powerful account in the Scripture, and we'll get to that in a moment. Uh, Prayer is powerful. Would you agree with that? Prayer is powerful. Prayer moves the hand of God. Prayer makes things happen that wouldn't normally happen. But did you know there are times when prayer alone is not enough to accomplish your request? 
You say, I thought, I thought God could do anything through prayer. Oh, He can. But sometimes prayer alone just isn't enough to get done what you want to get done. But there is a way to supercharge your prayers with even more power and more effectiveness than you've had up to this point. And we find that power through the discipline of fasting. Isn't that everybody's favorite subject? Fasting. Uh, fasting. Going without food. Going without what you enjoy for uh, something you want more. What we find in the Bible is that prayer and fasting are incredibly powerful together. And if you're praying about something and you just don't be able to seem to get, get God's ear or God's just not moving, now you make sure you follow all the other best practices of prayer. Are you praying in His name? Are you praying for His glory? Are you praying, uh, trying to seek what God wants done, not twisting the arm of God to do something that He knows would be wrong for you? And we have to follow the best practices of prayer. By the way, if you come on Wednesday nights right now, we're teaching a whole series on learning to pray like Jesus. So if you want to learn to pray, Wednesday night's when you need to be here. We're starting very basic, and we'll go through the next couple of months. We're going to go through like a college-level prayer class to teach you how to pray and get your prayers answered. Uh, it's fabulous teachings from God's Word, not because of the teacher, but because of God's Word who teaches us. And so I want you to, to be here for that, if at all you can, but we are posting those online as well, so you can go back and listen to him online uh, on our website, the media page. And so prayer, I, I'm, I love prayer. There's nothing like spending time in God's presence, and there's nothing like praying and knowing that God did what you asked him to do uh, and seeing those answers to prayer and be like, wow, God did that. Well, that'll build your faith. Uh, but sometimes prayer alone's not enough. And God says there are certain things that require prayer and fasting to be put together and then things that were impossible with just praying now become possible as our prayers get supercharged through prayer and fasting. So today I want to preach a message, the power of prayer and fasting. And don't, don't turn me off yet. Uh, listen to this. And I'm not telling you that you need to start a seven-day fast at the end of the service today because honestly I plan on eating lunch, amen? And uh, so there, there's a time to fast and there's a time not to fast. But if you don't have this in your spiritual toolbox, you're missing something. And if you've never fasted, you're missing something. If you haven't fasted in a long time, you're missing something. So I want to talk to you about the power of prayer and fasting, and then just a few steps about how you can start putting this in practice. Even if you have diabetes or low blood sugar or thyroid problems or things like that, you still can begin this journey of fasting and prayer. But let's look at our text Jesus had just come down from the Mount of Transfiguration, and what a powerful uh, account of Scripture. He was just in the presence of God up on the mountain. He was transfigured into His glorified body. His, he was glowing. He was in his uh, measure of His glory, and, and a Peter, James, and John could see a measure of His glory. And, and uh, two people from heaven came down to talk with Him, and we believe they were talking about His upcoming crucifixion and these types of things and and even the end of days and and so Moses and Elijah came back in their glorified bodies and here's Jesus in his glory not all of his glory the disciples couldn't have handled that amen 
but he was in a transfigured, he was glowing, he was in this uh, transfigured body. Moses and Elijah come back and they're talking to him. And boy, the disciples just couldn't believe what they were seeing. And Peter was one of those people that said he just felt like he always had to say something. Do you ever know someone like that? Where it's like they just feel like if it gets too quiet, they need to say something. No matter how dumb what they're about to say is, they're just compelled to say something. And so Peter, compelled to say something, he said, Boy, let's make tabernacles for you, Lord, and Moses and Elijah. And the mistake was putting Moses and Elijah on the same plane as the Son of God. And God the Father spoke out from heaven. He was there communicating. He wasn't there bodily, but he was there communicating. And uh, said, this is my beloved son. Basically, Peter was rebuked by God the Father. And he fell on his face. And I mean, it was, uh, became a, a, a teaching moment in his life for sure. And then Moses and Elijah are gone. And Jesus had to come over and, and pick up Peter. And all right, boys, you know, let's, let's head back down. Uh, this was a, a powerful moment. Now, Jesus just comes down off of that spiritual mountaintop experience. Imagine how joyful he must have been to speak to the Father in that way, to see Moses and Elijah again, to, to be kind of released and separated from the, 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 the carnality of this world for a moment. He comes back down, and he's met on his way down by a man who said, I asked your disciples to help me, but they couldn't. So as soon as Jesus walks back down the mountain, he's hit with a problem. And then he's hit with a problem, and his disciples didn't really know what they were doing. And you see his frustration when he says, how long shall I be with you? I mean, he just came down from a mountaintop, and now he gets hit with the problems of life. Has that ever happened to you? Have you ever gone home from a church service and, man, you just feel so close to God and you walk in and maybe someone in your house that doesn't go to church or someone in your house that's not trying to please the Lord, man, they hit you with something and you're just like, oh, man, I was just in a good place with God and now you give me this? Or, man, you go to a Sunday, you, you have a good day with God and you go to work the next morning and, man, the problems of life happen and people are giving you static and it's like, oh, I was just in a good place and this is the frustration of the Lord as he came down off the mountain. And so we pick it up in verse 14. And when they were come to the multitudes, they, they came back down to where people were waiting for Jesus. There came a certain man kneeling down to him saying, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is a lunatic. Uh, he's a crazy person. I'll never forget. My mom uh, told me one day we came home and she said, I found a perfect verse for you, son. I said, what's that? And she, she turned to this verse, she said, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is a lunatic. And I said, thanks, Mom. I feel so loved and appreciated. But she was pretty close to right uh, in that moment. But here's a man, he, was just, he didn't know what to do about his son. His son was sore vexed. Why? For oft times he falleth into the fire and oft into the water. And so this young boy, the poor young boy, was uh, demon-possessed. And this demon, listen, anytime demons get involved and Satan gets involved, it's all about destruction. They just want to destroy. They want to destroy the people around them. They want to destroy the, the, the people that they're oppressing or possessing. And so, I mean, he's throwing this boy into the fire, trying to kill him. He's throwing this boy into the water. Here's a suicidal young man who's just out of his mind. And they brought this dad had heard that Jesus and his disciples were healing people. So verse 16, and I brought him to thy disciples, and they could not cure him. 
He said, I, I finally made it here. I made the trek. I didn't know how we were going to make it. Maybe he didn't have the money. Maybe he didn't know if his boy was even going to be able to travel. He was so sick. But then they finally get there and the hope, and then we got nothing for you. In verse 17, Jesus answered and said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer? You see that frustration coming from that spiritual moment, that spiritual mountaintop to hear now the problems of life. And he said, bring him to me. Aren't you glad that no matter what problem you have, if you could just get to Jesus, you can find help. And let me tell you, there's going to be times in your life where your spouse can't help you. Your parents can't help you. The preacher can't help you. The government can't help you. But, oh, my friend, if you could just get to Jesus, he'll help you. And he will make a way to help you in your time of need. Praise the Lord for that. Verse 18, and Jesus rebuked the devil, and he departed out of him. The child was cured that very hour. Now, we won't get into some of this spiritual stuff, but you say, Pastor, can people really be demon-possessed? Yes, they can. It's not like, though it's not like Hollywood does it. It's not like a, a show of The Exorcist or some of these weird shows on there. That's not, that's not necessarily how it is. Often it's very different from that. But it can happen. You say, well, I'm, I'm afraid about being demon-possessed. Well, if you just get saved, you don't have to worry about being demon-possessed. We believe that Christians can't be possessed by the devil or by his, his demons. There's a hole in your heart. There's a place inside of you that... Once you get saved, the Holy Spirit takes up residence, and He goes there to reside. And I believe that that's the place where if you're not saved and you don't have the Holy Spirit, that's where the possession comes from. You give entrance to that evil spirit, and He takes up that residence where, where the Holy Spirit is, is to reside. But once you get saved, man, that, uh, those evil spirits kick, get kicked out. They can't get back in. That place is taken. The house is filled, amen. You try to move in my house, you're going to have a problem because I'm living there. And I got lots of ammo. No, I'm kidding. I, got, uh, I do have a baseball bat. And uh, you're not coming in my house, right? I live there. And so once the Holy Spirit moves in, Satan can't come in and take residence. And so if you're worried about demon possession and all that, just get saved. And man, you're covered. And praise the Lord for that. However, we do know that a, a Christian can be oppressed. Possession is having satanic control and influence from the inside out. Oppression is allowing Satan to get close to you or his minions and influence you from the outside in. And so Christians can be oppressed, but they can't be possessed. But the good news is, James chapter 4 tells us, if you submit to God and you resist the devil, he will flee. So as a Christian, uh, you have authority from God to command the devil to leave you alone. He won't do it all the time, and you can be sure he's always going to come back, but you're not a slave to him, and you can command him to be gone, to leave you alone with the authority that Christ has given you. I don't want to get too deep into that, but I just want to touch on that because we see these elements here. And there are a lot of people in our world that I think are demon-oppressed. Uh, they're they're listening to the devil an awful lot. And I think there are people that are possessed. Not all of it, but I think, do you think this kid here would have been considered mentally ill? I think there are cases, not all of them, 
But there are cases of mental illness that are demon-related, that are spiritual problems, no doubt about it. Uh, And so we see these things today as well. They're just often misclassified. All right. And then so uh, Jesus just comes down and speaks a word and gets rid of the devil. And the child's cured that very hour. This suicidal child that was acting like a unitic, throwing himself into the fire, trying to drown himself, uncontrollable. Now he's sitting there. And as the Bible said about the maniac of Gadara, I'm sure same applies. He was sitting there clothed in his right mind. Boy, Jesus makes a difference, doesn't he? Verse 19 Then came the disciples to Jesus apart and said, Why could not we cast him out? Lord, we saw you did it with no effort at all. But we couldn't do it. Why couldn't we do that? And you've got to remember that as far as the apostolic gifts go, God had given them special gifts to prove that he was the Messiah. And so they had the ability to do some healing and cast out demons and such. But this one they couldn't cast out. And they said, Lord, we know we're capable of these things. We should have been able to help him. We should have been able to help this child. We should have been able to get rid of this devil. But we couldn't. Why couldn't we get the job done? Jesus told them something very telling. Verse 20, and Jesus said unto them, because of your what? Unbelief. Unbelief. Maybe the disciples knew they should have been able to, but they thought, well, this demon's worse than we've ever seen. This case is worse than we've ever. Have you ever helped anybody like this, Peter? I've never helped anybody like this. Have you ever helped anybody like this, John? I've never seen one this bad. And so they said the same words. They did the same things. But it was ineffective. Why? Because it was lacking faith. And, of course, we know Jesus. He has all faith. And so he was able to accomplish the task easily. So Jesus begins to teach them a lesson on faith, and he talks about the faith as a grain of mustard seed. But skip down to verse 21. So he's saying that, that through faith, nothing shall be impossible to you. But then verse 21, how be it, except there are situations, there are circumstances that even the prayer of faith won't get the job done. And you need to go a step further. Verse 21, how be it, this kind This kind of demon, this kind of problem, this kind of situation goeth not out but by prayer and fasting. And so we get to our subject today, prayer and fasting. Fasting has the ability to supercharge our prayer life. Why? I believe the answer is very simple and it gets a little bit deeper than that as you study fasting throughout the scripture But in this portion of Scripture, it's very telling that the Bible says the problem was you lacked faith, and so you needed to pray and fast. Why? Because prayer and fasting increases your faith. When you pray and you fast, a lot of things happen inside of you and in your heart and your mind and your body, and that increases your faith. As a matter of fact, fasting itself is an act of faith. Why in the world would I go without lunch? Why in the world would I not eat biscuits and gravy in the morning? I mean, I got the sausage in the fridge. I can see it in my mind. It's going to taste so good. Why wouldn't I do that? Hey, I'm talking about even something as simple as a peanut butter and jelly. There's nothing quite as simple yet glorious as two pieces of good bread with peanut butter and jelly in the middle. Glorious. (laughs) I could weep. 
Honestly, why in the world would you go without food? It's an act of faith. Because I believe that if I go without this food, that God's going to do something he wouldn't normally do. And so the act of fasting itself is an act of faith. And as you fast, your faith grows. And listen, I'll fast one meal, but what about two meals? What about three meals? What about one day? What about two days? What about three days? It's an act of faith to say, I'm going to go without this food. I'm going to suffer because I believe God can and will do things uh, with this fasting. So fasting itself is an act of faith. Now, what is fasting? The Baker Encyclopedia of the Bible says fasting is eating sparingly or abstaining from food altogether, either from necessity or of desire. And so uh, sometimes people fast because they just don't have any food. Matter of fact, breakfast is breaking the fast. You don't eat from dinner time, at least you're not supposed to eat from dinner time. Dinner time until the morning, you're actually fasting. If you eat dinner at 7 o'clock and you don't eat again till 7 o'clock the next morning, you just didn't eat for 12 hours, and so you've been fasting. You've been not eating. And that's one reason why breakfast is an important meal, uh, because how you, the, the nutrients you introduce into your body are going to help you bridge that gap from not eating to eating, or you could just eat six donuts, and how does that work out for you? It's like, yippee, as you crash. Because your body hasn't been eating. And so uh, we fast every night, uh, unless you're having your midnight snack and your 11 o'clock snack and your 10 o'clock snack, and you get up in the morning and have a snack and, and uh, all of that, but you're, you're not eating. And so we people fast uh, when they sleep. People fast health fast. Health fasting is actually very healthy and has health benefits when done properly. But we also fast for these spiritual fasts. And so the Lord actually told us and ex- that he expects us to fast at times. Look at Mark chapter 20. Some of you wish we were talking about something else today, don't you? Sometimes with my kids, they'll say, Dad, what's for breakfast? I'll say, we're fasting today. And they'll be like, no. Now, I never make my kids fast, but it's a wonderful joke to play on them. And no matter how many times I do it, it's like I've told you that 50 times, and you know I'm joking, but just the mention of fasting creates fear in their hearts. It's like, no. And so it's endlessly fun for me. Mark chapter 2, I'm sorry. If you'd been fasting, Alan, you would have known that. The Lord, uh, the Lord would have restored that to you, shown that to you. Now, Mark chapter 2 and verse 20. Mark chapter 2 and verse 20. So the disciples of John were fasting and the uh, Pharisees fasted. Matter of fact, a lot of religious cultures have fasting involved. Uh, But Jesus' disciples weren't fasting. He wasn't having his disciples fast. In verse 20 he said, But the days will come when the bridegroom shall be taken away from them. And then in those days, excuse me, then uh, might they fast in those days. No, it says, then shall they fast in those days. So basically, Jesus was saying is, why would they fast when I'm here with them? This is party time. I mean, this is, they're never going to have another chance like this. Nobody's ever going to have a chance to be with me like these people are. Why would they be fasting now? I'm walking with them. But one of these days when I'm gone, my people will fast. It will be a discipline. And there's a spiritual expectation that God's people will fast. Now, Uh, This is a a lost Christian discipline. Uh, Many churches never talk about it. 
Most Christians have never done it. Now, if you've been at our church for, for a long time, we've talked about this over the years, and we've even encouraged you to do so. Uh, and so, but a lot of Christians, I mean, they've never even heard of fasting. They've never even considered it. Oh, that was an Old Testament thing, or that's an archaic thing. No, it's a today thing, because fasting still works. It's easy to understand why fasting's a lost discipline. You're not going to get a bunch of people pleased with you by talking about fasting. You're not going to get a crowd encouraging people to fast. Uh, our world today is so focused on pleasure. Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. What feels good? If it feels good, do it. If it's uncomfortable, I don't want to do it. I don't want to work because it's hard. I don't want to do this because it's hard. I don't want to go to church because I've got to sit there for an hour. I mean, if there's any, if there's any discomfort at all, we don't want to do it. Well, my friend, fasting is uncomfortable. Fasting's hard. Can I be honest? Fasting's terrible. But yet it's wonderful. The process is terrible. The results and what happens in your heart are wonderful. But it can only happen this way. You can only get it this way. It's like running a marathon. How many of you would love to be able to say you've run a marathon? I'd like to be able to say I've run a marathon. Anybody here ever run a marathon? Anybody thought about running a marathon? I got my hand up. I thought about it once. And that makes me feel better. But you know, you run a marathon. You, that's nice to say. But boy, think about all the practice that goes into it. That's terrible. That's awful. And fasting is one of those things where the process is terrible, but the results are incredible. And in a world that focuses on pleasure, people don't want to be reminded that Jesus Christ calls us to sacrifice when necessary. The Christian life's a life of sacrifice. Sometimes we ought to sacrifice for the greater good. Sometimes we need to change our schedule for the Lord. We need to, just like this morning, all of us have other things we could be doing. Why are we here? Because we're supposed to be here. And we don't see it as a sacrifice. Your friends might, your family might. I don't see it as a sacrifice to be here to church on Sunday morning. And you know what? I'll be back tonight. And I'll be back Wednesday night. And I'll be here Saturday. And I'll be here. It's not a sacrifice, but sometimes it's like, hey, you know, God calls us to uh, take the hard road for the greater good. And you'll never be like Jesus until you learn to take the hard road when necessary. But again, the hard road, the road less travels, leads you to a place where you'd like to go. Let me tell you three types of fasting. First, there's what's known as a normal fast. And so this is a fast where uh, you just don't eat food for a certain time. Luke 4, 2 uh, says, Being 40 days tempted of the devil in those days, he, that's Jesus, did eat nothing. And when they were ended afterward, he afterward hungered. And so this was a, a no food fast. And usually when people talk about fasting, they're talking about not eating food. Then there's a, a partial fast. Uh, this is where you restrict part of your diet or drink or pleasure. So Daniel 10.3 says, I ate no pleasant bread. Neither came flesh nor wine into my mouth, neither did I anoint myself at all till uh, three whole weeks were fulfilled. So here, this was a partial fast. Daniel was a, a busy man. Perhaps he could not completely fast during this time. There are times when you need to fast, but if you've got a very physical job or whatever. Listen, I fasted for seven days one time, just water. And I, on the end of that, at the end of that fast, I went to work and they were like propping me up in the corner. I mean, I just stood, I just sat there like, I had no strength at all. I was having trouble walking around uh, because you, you just don't, it, it zaps your strength. Now, God did amazing things in my heart and mind in my life. 
but physically, I was a mess. And so uh, if, if you've got a busy job or those types of things, fasting long term without eating any food just isn't practical unless the Lord supernaturally helps you. So here's Daniel, uh, this partial fast, he said, I ate no pleasant bread. So basically he was eating to live, not eating for pleasure. He didn't eat anything he liked. He didn't, he didn't eat any pleasurable meals, but he ate enough to keep his strength up. He didn't drink the things that he wanted to drink. Maybe he would just drink water instead of Mountain Dew or ginger ale or, or Coke or those types of things. He was just keeping his strength up. And sometimes we see a partial fast. It can be a fast of pleasure. It can be, okay, I'm not going to play any video games for a week or two. I'm not going to go do this fun thing that I normally like to do. Maybe you like to go kayaking. I'm not going to go kayaking for a week. or I'm not going to go do this thing. Why? Because I'm going to spend that time and pray instead. So we see a normal fast. We see a partial fast. And then we see an absolute fast. This is more unusual, but this is where you have no food or water. And uh, Acts 9, 9, and he was three days without sight and did, neither did eat nor drink. Now, this is very difficult. And, of course, fasting, you ought to have someone to help you through this. Uh, nobody really taught me how to fast. So I just started doing it. And, man, after that seven-day fast where I ate nothing but uh, I ate nothing and drank nothing but water, guess what my first meal was? I wish. I wish. Nobody taught me. I was hungry. I was starving. And my, but my stomach had shrunk so much uh, over those seven days. I, went to, I thought, well, I'm going to be healthy, and I'm going to go to Subway. But then when I got to Subway, I looked at the menu, and the foot-long meatball sub was looking at me. I went from eating nothing for seven days, and I downed a 12-inch a, a meatball sub. How do you think that sat on my stomach? I wish I hadn't eaten. And so nobody, there was nobody there to help me. Uh, so you, you do need some encouragement. You do need some guidance, especially you young people. Uh, make sure that you're talking to an adult about these types of things and, and, and such. But uh, to go without food or drink is the height. That's the highest level of fasting. And usually in the Bible, they didn't do it for more than three days uh, without supernatural help. Because at, at about three days, you're, you're pretty close to uh, giving up the ghost there without food or water. All right. There's also other types of fasting under partial fasting. For example, you can fast sleep where you pray instead of sleeping. We do this at our extended prayer meeting or all night prayer meetings where, you know what, we're going to pray instead of sleep. Uh, maybe you're going through a terrible time and and you just say, you know what, I usually go to bed at, at 11, but I'm going to stay up for two hours and just pray. But then I'm going to get up at my normal time and, and fulfill my normal responsibilities. That is considered a type of fasting. I remember uh, I used to love basketball, and when I went to college, uh, I had some very serious needs, and sometimes I would hear out, out my window there was a basketball court just down the way, and I could hear the, the people practicing and playing basketball for fun, and I said, you know, I'm going to take a week, and instead of going out there and playing basketball, I'm going to pray, and I would pray while listening to them play, and part of me wanted so badly to play, but I said, no, I'm going to pray. That's a form of fasting, too, so you can fast from pleasure, you can slap, fast from uh, sleep, food, those types of things. All right, look at Isaiah 58. You still with me? Isaiah 58. Isaiah 58 speaks a lot about fasting. And fasting is used to accomplish difficult or impossible tasks. Look at Isaiah 58 and verse 6. 
The Bible says, Is not this the fast that I have chosen to loose the bands of wickedness? So sometimes you'll fast just if you have some sin you're struggling with. Sometimes you need to fast to break the chains of those sins. To, uh, to loose the bands of wickedness, to undo the heavy burdens. Are you facing something that's crazy heavy? I mean, are you struggling with depression? You're struggling with something that's just uh, tearing you up on the inside mentally, just wrecking you and emotionally? Fasting will help break that. And to let the oppressed go, through, go free. Is there someone in your life that maybe they're suffering addiction or they're in some terrible situation and they just, they just feel stuck and you don't know how to get them out of it? Fasting can open those bonds and that ye break every yoke. And so notice it says to let the oppressed go free. That's somebody else. And that ye may break the yoke. Now you're speaking personally. This is, do you have something holding you back? Do you have an addiction? Do you have something you're really struggling with? That no matter how hard you try, it's not enough. You can't break free of it. Fasting can help you break free. All right, look at verse 7. Is it not to deal thy bread to the hungry? So fasting isn't just not eating. And by the way, the Lord told us that when you fast, don't make a show of it. Don't walk around like, oh, woe is me. Oh, I fast. No. Hey, you want something to eat? No, I'm fasting. You know, don't make a big deal about your fasting. Don't make a show of it because then it becomes about you instead of about the fast. But let me give you men some encouragement. I grew up to where fasting me was very private. But once I got married, uh, I would be fasting and I'd tell my wife and she'd put a nice meal on the table and be like, oh, I can't eat. And after a while, she very kindly said, you know, sweetie, if you're going to fast, could you tell me? Because I just spent a couple hours cooking a nice meal and now you're not going to eat it. Well, I had to learn that it's okay to tell certain people I'm fasting. It's okay for a husband to tell a wife or a wife to tell a husband, hey, I'm going to fast for a couple of days. As a matter of fact, you could do it together. Uh, but it's not to be made a show of. But you, you can, as part of your fasting, okay, I'm not going to eat, so I don't want to stop you from eating. Uh, some people in a house, it's, it's like, well, I'm fasting, so I don't want you to eat. Well, that's not okay. You can't demand people fast. Uh, matter of fact, when you're fasting, make sure other people eat. And uh, if, if I've gone days without eating, it's amazing what smelling food will do for you. Take a spoonful of that, and it's almost like tasting it. It's almost like you can taste it. And, uh, but then you say no, and, and you, you're still in control. But if, if I'm fasting, I, don't, I want my kids to eat or my wife to eat, or I might even buy someone a meal because that is part of of fasting is making sure you're taking care of others and that thou bring the poor that are cast out into thy house. So taking care of other people, you know, fasting, what happens is it's not just about the food. It's really taking the attention off of you, not being so selfish. And what an amazing thing happens when you start fasting is you begin to notice how much you think about food. And the truth is you fast for a couple of days and you're going to find out that most of the time you're either thinking about what you just ate, thinking about what you're eating or thinking about what you're going to eat next. And uh, we think about food an awful lot. But fasting breaks that cycle of it's all about me, and I want what I want. No, fasting is you're not going to get what you want. And I'm, gonna, I'm going to decide not to get what I want, but I want you to have what you need. And so it breaks that cycle of selfishness. Then he says, when thou seest the naked, or someone that doesn't have enough clothes, that thou cover him. So give somebody clothes, make a donation. And that thou hide not thyself from thy own flesh. And so this is important when you're fasting. You don't need to hole up and just become a monk for a couple days. 
Honestly, when you're fasting, usually you have to go about your normal day-to-day business. There are times when you can fast to where, you know, you're going to break your schedule. You're going <clears> to, <throat> as a preacher, before Sarah got sick, often I would take one day a quarter and I would just uh, take time and go pray somewhere for a day. And I still do that occasionally where I'll just clear my schedule and I may not be able to go somewhere overnight like I used to, but I'll just go down by the water and 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 turn my phone off and and not check email, and I'll just pray and read my Bible for several hours or or things like that. And so, uh, but going about your normal schedule sometimes is part of fasting. You can fast and go to work. You can fast and take care of the kids. You can fast and do your chores. And so we see all of these things. And by the way, Isaiah 58 gives you just a class on fasting. Uh, But then let's look at verse 8. And this tells us the powerful promises connected with fasting. We're talking about the power of prayer and fasting. All right, look at verse 8. Why should I fast? What's the big deal? Then shall thy light break forth as the morning. Hey, do you need some light in your life? Is things just dark? You need some clarity? You need to be able to see? You just feel like there's darkness around you spiritually, mentally, emotionally? When you fast, God has the ability to break through that darkness and give you light. Now, sometimes that happens during your daily prayer time and your daily Bible time. But if you've been saved very long, you're going to run into times where your daily prayer time isn't enough. And it can get frustrating that I'm doing what I've always done, but now I feel like I'm drowning. That's because you go through cycles where you need more of God than you're used to having. You need more of his power and strength and wisdom. All right, then it goes on to say, and thy health shall spring forth speedily. You know, when we don't eat, our bodies begin to detox. Uh, They begin to get rid of, of... uh, toxins that build up. And that's one of the things when you eat all the time, your body never really gets the chance to get rid of, of the waste that it needs to. That's why they used to talk about starving a cold. Or when you get sick, uh, scientists tell us nowadays that when your body, your body has a hard time healing itself and digesting food at the same time. Because digestion, re- digestion requires so much effort from your body uh, that it, it can't heal itself. That's why when you eat right before you go to bed, your body's still working, trying to digest your food while you're sleeping. You wake up tired where it's a good it's a good uh, idea not to eat two to three hours before you go to bed. That's just a good health tip. And your body gets into that fully restive state and begins to uh, heal itself. And by the way, if you're not sleeping enough or your sleep is is constantly uh, interrupted, then uh, your body can't really heal itself. And so that's why people that can't sleep well, they end up getting sick and those problems compound. All right, and then so read on. And thy righteousness shall go before thee. So fasting also increases my righteousness. It gives me the power to break the chains of selfishness, to stop feeding my flesh. It gives me a measure of control back over my sinful desires where my brain and my mind begin to make decisions again, not just my flesh and what it wants. And so now I'm living more righteous than I was before I fasted. And then it says, the glory of the Lord shall be thy re-reward. So the re-reward is behind you. So now God says, I'm going to lead you, but now I'm going to protect you from behind. What happens when you fast is you begin to see God everywhere. You begin to sense his presence like you've never sensed it before. How many of you would like all of those things? We all would. The problem is we want to eat more. I was reminded of one preacher. He weighed about 450 pounds, and a lady walked up to him one day and said, Don't you hate being fat? He said, Yeah, I hate being hungry worse. (laughs) So he's 
Sometimes that's the way it is. Boy, we'd like things to change, but I like eating more. I, I, I want God to work, but I'm hungry. I, I want God to... You see, fasting becomes an awful lot about priorities and what do I want more. Do I want God's power more or do I want a meal? Do I want to feel good for a few minutes or do I need God to answer that prayer? And so fasting is, is very powerful, but it's very challenging. Look at verse 9. The promises continue. Then shalt thou call, and the Lord shall answer. You want to get your prayers answered? Fasting helps. Thou shalt cry, and he, God, shall say, here I am. Wouldn't you like to have the prayer life that if you said, Heavenly Father, and he said, yes. Lord, what can I do for you? Those are the promises that are attached to this thing called fasting. If you take away the yoke from the midst of thee, to take away the, from the midst of thee the yoke, the putting forth of the finger, the speaking of vanity. And so he's talking about once you start fasting, you begin noticing the sins in your own life. You stop putting demands on other people, and you begin be getting more concerned with yourself. You stop wagging the finger at people, pointing, well, look what you did, look what you did, look what you did. No, you begin to see your own sin, and you begin being concerned with trying to please the Lord yourself rather than blaming everybody else. And the speaking of vanity, listen, fasting will humble you. You just close your mouth when you're fasting. It's not about what you think or what you say. It's like, man, I'm just trying to survive here. And Lord, I, I, I need you. And you're humbled and you're, you're hungry and your body's beginning to feel the weakness that comes with not eating and you begin to sense how much you really do need God. You're not spouting off a bunch of stuff when you're fasting. See how fasting just begins to change you from the inside out? Is there any wonder that such a powerful discipline Satan is trying to obscure from Christianity? Satan doesn't want us to see it. He doesn't want us to experience it. Because it's incredibly, incredibly powerful. And we can read more. You can read the next a few verses there. Let me show you one more. This is incredible. Uh, verse 10, And if thou draw out thy soul to the hungry again... I'm in my fasting, I'm reaching out to others and satisfy the afflicted soul. I'm trying to help people. Then shall thy light rise in obscurity. God says, I will, when you humble yourself, I will lift you up. And thy darkness is the noonday. I'll take the dark areas of your life and bring my brightness. Verse 11, and the Lord shall guide thee continually. You need God's guidance? Fasting's a way to find it. I don't know what to do. I don't know what decisions to make. Fast and satisfy thy soul in the drought. Maybe you've got everything. Maybe you've got cars and money and all this, and you just feel so dissatisfied. Maybe you've got a wonderful wife and kids and all of these things, and you look around your life, and you know you're blessed, but you're still miserable. You ever been there? Well, you start fasting, and God brings that back down and begins to connect the dots, and you begin to see, wow, how incredibly blessed I am. And my soul begins to be satisfied even in drought, even in loss, and make fat thy bones, not make fat thy body, amen? Make fat thy bones. That's talking about blessing from the inside out. Now shall be like a watered garden and like a spring of water whose waters fail not. Never-ending abundance. Hey, that's pretty good, isn't it? So why does fasting work? It humbles the soul. We talked about that. Psalm thirty-five, thirteen says, But as for me... When they were sick, my clothes was sackcloth. I humbled my soul with fasting, and my prayer returned into my own bosom. You ever start feeling yourself getting lifted up with pride? It's amazing how quickly fasting will teach you 
bring your bring that bring that pride down. Uh, fasting chastens the soul. Psalm sixty nine ten says, "When I wept and chastened my soul with fasting." Uh, getting your soul under control, getting your mind and your heart and your emotions under control. Uh, fasting subdues the flesh. The Bible talks about in 1 Corinthians 9 that if you don't subdue the flesh, you're going to be a castaway. Is your flesh starting to get out of control? It just wants what it wants, and the more you feed it, the more it cries out for what it wants. Maybe you're having trouble with addictions. You're having trouble controlling your tongue. You're having uh, trouble not doing things that you know you shouldn't do. Man, you start fasting, and it'll bring... If, if, you, can, if you can control your mouth and your tongue, and you say, I'm not going to eat, it's amazing how the rest of the body comes in line, and you gain control over the desires of the flesh. Fasting weakens the connection to this world and strengthens your connection to God. The, the, the more weak you get, the more hungry you get in some ways, and the more you, you uh, are unattached to the things of this world, it's amazing how your, your connection with God gets so much brighter and more vibrant and more lively. You feel like He's closer. He's been close all the time, but now there's not all that a fuzz and, and confusion between us and worldly lust. It's like all that just brings away and like the clouds spreading on a beautiful starry night and you begin to, the clouds begin to spread. Now you can see the glory that was there the whole time as you see the Lord. Fasting proves our sincerity. God says, I'll answer that request, but I'm not sure how bad you want it. And sometimes we need to Prove our sincerity. The Bible says the importunity of prayer and praying and praying and praying and praying and praying and praying. And prayer increases, prayer and fasting increases our faith because every time I miss a meal, I'm saying I believe God's going to honor His Word. I believe God can do things. If I get out of the way, I believe God can do things that He wouldn't normally do. We see examples of power of the power of fasting and prayer in the bible daniel fasted over the sins of his nation daniel chapter 9 verses 1 through 19 he fasted for clarity and direction and god gave it to him we see in chapter uh another chapter there daniel fasted daniel chapter 10 verses 3 through 13 he fasted matter of fact we won't take time to read it but god was actually moving angels at daniel's behest pretty interesting stuff the power of prayer and fasting. We see that Ahab, the wicked king, prayed and fasted. And even the Lord responded to wicked Ahab's prayer and fasting in 1 Kings chapter 21, verses 27 through 29. Great people in the Bible fasted and prayed. Moses, David, Elijah, Darius, Daniel, Esther, Ezra, Nehemiah, Anna, Jesus, John Baptist, Cornelius, Paul, the Christian leaders at Antioch in Acts chapter 13 Folks, Christians have always understood the power of this thing called prayer and fasting. Now, it's not something that you do all the time, but it ought to be something that you do when needed and even the more mature you get, perhaps even regularly. I ask you, when's the last time you fasted for powerful prayer? When's the last time you skipped a meal because you needed something more than food they say preacher how do i get started let me just give you a couple thoughts on how to get started first you don't want to start fasting you don't, don't walk out of here and say i'm gonna fast for a week don't set yourself up for failure start with a meal 
start with one meal and say, you know, I'm going to fast for one meal. And instead of eating, it's not that you take that time that you would have been eating and watch TV or sleep. You take that time to pray. And so let's say if I'm going to fast for lunch, I eat a decent breakfast. And then from breakfast to dinner, I don't eat anything. I don't snack. I make sure I'm drinking plenty of water. And, but I don't eat anything. And then at dinner time, I would eat. And if you begin by that, or perhaps if you want to skip dinner, the interesting thing about skipping dinner is now you're fasting through the night too. So perhaps you eat breakfast and lunch, but then you don't eat dinner, and then you go through the night. Oftentimes when I begin fasting for one day or, or several days, I will start with the dinner meal uh, because uh, then it, it just leads into that night, and it's a nice flow. Uh, Sometimes when you wake up in the morning and you're so used to just eating breakfast, it's more of a shock to your system that it's like, man, I didn't eat breakfast. And so if I didn't eat dinner the night before, then I don't eat, I'm just kind of already in that mindset as I begin going. And then if you, after you skip a meal and you get that down, try skip eating for a day. Uh, or maybe skip two meals. Don't eat, don't eat breakfast or lunch, but eat dinner. Uh, and then you can begin skipping meals for a day. And it's okay, I'm not going to eat for one day. And then you add days as your faith grows. You say, well, preacher, I've, I've got health problems. I've got diabetes. I've got hypoglycemia. Uh, I've got thyroid issues. And those things really do occur. Or maybe you work a very intense job where literally fasting and not praying for more than a day. I mean, you wouldn't be able to function. Then you go on partial fast. And you say, okay, maybe I'm going to go on a juice fast to where I will eat to keep up my strength and my health. But I'm going to eat juices and, and drink good juices. I'm not talking about you know, pasteurized bottled apple juice. I'm talking about you need to take something that's alive and juice it, right? And then you get all those nutrients, um, and those things will, will keep you going. Maybe you want to do a health fast, and you say, okay, I need some spiritual things, but also I need to, I need to get my body under control, so I'm going to maybe go on a raw food fast, or I'm only eating raw food for a couple of days, or I'm going to uh, uh, do things like that. There's, there's a lot of options there. Uh, Maybe you're going to go on a, a fast like David or, or like Daniel did and say, okay, I won't eat anything I like. Maybe I'll just eat, I'll drink nasty protein shakes all day. And I know I'll have the, and by the way, most protein shakes are nasty, amen? I had some of one this morning. You drink it not because it's fun. You drink it because it helps you. Uh, but maybe you're just going to drink those things because it'll keep your, your health up. But you're still, you're going to feel it not eating the, the normal food. Uh, maybe it's a pleasure fast. Here's one. Maybe you can't stop eating, but you can say, okay, I won't have coffee for a week. That might be worse than not eating. Maybe you say this, I won't have dessert for three days. I won't have any sugar. For some of you, you'd just as soon die. And if I can't stop by Dunkin' Donuts every three hours, uh, find something that you say, I'm gonna, it's going to hurt me to go without, and I'm going to feel it. But this is important enough. The truth is, every Christian can fast if you're committed to it. Maybe you're on a very strict diet and fasting is hard, but you could pray into the night. You could get up early. You could stay up late. At the very least, look at me, Christian. At the very least, you could say, I'm going to fast between meals. Here's an amazing thought. Eat lunch and then don't eat again till dinner. You imagine how... Most Americans don't eat meals we graze. You know, you ever see the cow? He just takes a few steps and takes a bite, takes a few steps and takes a bite. Most Americans, we just kind of eat all day long. 
And it's amazing how if you just decide to stop skipping snacks, you'll feel it. Eat your meals for a couple days, all right? I'm going to eat breakfast and nothing till lunch. And I'm going to eat a set lunch. Then I'm going to eat lunch and nothing till dinner. Then I'm going to eat dinner and nothing until breakfast. And even that, you'll, you'll begin to uh, tame this body and get it under control. But everybody can do some form of fasting. Now look, I know that a sermon like this doesn't make you leave all joyful. Yippee! I know that a sermon like this, a lot of Christians don't want to hear. But I'm telling you, because the Bible says it, and I don't fast as much as I should, but I've fasted over my Christian life. I've, I've fasted many times. Not as I should. And I stand here before you, and I was convicted when I was preparing this, because I don't do it like I should. But let me tell you, I know fasting and prayer is powerful, the power of prayer and fasting, because the Bible says so, and I know it is because I've experienced it. And I encourage each one of you, you're all going to be different. You're all at different areas. You're all, some of you fasted many times. Some of you are like, the idea of this is like insane. Some of you are like, is this a cult? I mean, is this what cults talk about? No, this is what the Bible talks about. I showed you a lot of verses, and I could show you a lot more. We're talking about skipping a meal, not sacrificing your children to Molech, okay? Uh, but sometimes people have a hard time telling the difference. Uh, so it's okay. You'll survive. And honestly, you, it might take a little bit to break through. You might be fasting and be like, this ain't like Pastor said. I'm just miserable. That might happen. But you, you get into a rhythm or you do it as God asks you to, and all of a sudden the light breaks through. You begin to sense, sense His presence like never. You begin to pray and you feel Him. It's amazing. You begin to see things happen. Uh, so I here's the invitation. Ask God today, Lord, I'm willing to do it. You just tell me what to do, and I'll do it. And in the Bible, we I had some verses here. We won't take time to look at it. Sometimes in the Bible, people would call fasts. Nations could call fasts. Pastors could call fasts. And oftentimes, this time of year, we begin to fast for our fall program we'll fast for the save new england conference coming up and uh, i tell our church usually i do this on sunday night and and by the way it's one reason why you should come to more services on sunday morning oftentimes i'd preach a message like this on sunday night but i sense that the lord wanted me to, to preach it this morning uh, i'm going to be doing some fasting on wednesdays of this month of the month of october and oftentimes the last month or two we have uh, the last couple of years, we've had people say, you know, Pastor, I'll join you on Wednesdays. Maybe for you, that's a meal. Maybe for you, you that's I'm not going to have coffee on Wednesday. Maybe for you, that, that's I'm not going to eat it all on Wednesday. But however the Lord leads you, maybe you would join with us. Maybe Wednesday's a bad day. You do it Thursday or, or Friday. Uh, but perhaps you would say, you know, I want to join the preacher. I want to join with the church family. Listen, we need to pray for souls to be saved. We need to pray for visitors to come. We need to pray for our conference that our church would be encouraged and we'd be encouraging preachers from around the country or around New England. There's so many things to pray for. We need to fast and pray for people that are struggling. There's Christians that should be here this morning, but they're struggling. They're, and some, some aren't here because they're sick and some have very good reasons, but some, honestly, they're just not feeling it. 
They're a little bit backslidden. That happens to all of us. By the way, if that ever happens to you, I hope somebody prays for you. If that ever happens to me, I hope somebody prays for me. So we've got a thousand things we could pray for, but I encourage you to begin the journey of seeking the power of prayer and fasting. Let's pray. Father, thanks for the chance to get together today. We believe what you said about prayer and fasting, and it is an act of faith. And so I pray that you'd help us to begin to partake. And Lord, I pray that you'd give people quick wins, that whenever they do begin fasting, that they would see the the benefits of it, uh, sometimes quickly, sometimes you make us wait to test us, to prove us, but would you help us, Lord, as we go through this journey, help us as a church, help us as individuals. Uh, Lord, we can't be a powerful church if we're if we're just doing it like every other church, if we want to be a different kind of church and, and have different things happen, then we've got to do things differently. And that's not becoming more worldly and, and, and all of that. It's, it's, it's doing things more scripturally. And prayer and fasting is one of those ways we can really tap into some power that um, we can't have without it. And so would you please bless? I know that there's many people in the room that are facing huge problems just seems like chasms of difficulty and and they feel like they're drowning in the pressures of life. Lord, would you help them uh, to believe you and begin to find answers and strength and power through the process of prayer and fasting. Bless us now as we take a moment of invitation. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Let's stand. If the Lord spoke to your heart, now's the time to Uh, Do some business with the Lord. Don't think about what you're going to do in two minutes from now. Think about the message. What did God speak to your heart about? You know what? Maybe you you don't just need to pray and fast. Maybe you just need to start praying. Or maybe you're you're pretty consistent in your prayer life, but you need to add a little bit of fasting. Or maybe you say, I'm going to join with the church a little bit, and I can can, uh, skip a meal, or I can not eat snacks, or I can not have dessert on Wednesday, or whatever it is. Uh, Maybe you've got some big things in your life that, that are just crushing you. Take those to the Lord. Prayer and fasting. As it, whatever's on your heart, as a piano plays, you come.